that on? Yeah. Well, how are we all doing this morning? I'll ask that again. How's this sailor room doing? How are you doing this morning? Yeah, whoo, yeah. Uh, well, look, if this is your first morning, like Joy says, this is your first morning with us in, in Down Paddock, you're especially welcome. Uh, we are a group of people who like to meet and just pursue what God's doing. Uh, not affiliated with any denomination, any um, group or organization, but really just... I like to say an eclectic group that God somehow brought us all together. We're here on the Sundays in an old bingo hall, which really is what this was. I'm really seeking God to do a work not only in us, but also in our community. So you're especially welcome. That's really a bit of a, a nutshell. Like Joy says, we're in the, in the process of, well, for those who've been around for a while, I feel like we've been talking about our new building forever. But um, we obviously are heading towards a new space, and then we'll, we'll move on from this one, which has been part of the journey for five years, so it's been, uh, it's been pretty good. So we're, we're thankful for what the Lord's doing. If this is your first morning and you haven't really been sure what we're doing or what we're, we're, we're speaking about, we're, we're wrapping up. We're in, a, in the last week of our series called The Greatest Story Ever Told. And obviously it being uh, April and, and how we've been really able to, to look at Easter and look at what the message of Easter has been about. We've had, um, we looked at Easter Sunday, but we also had Richard Porter come and James come and just speak about resurrection life and resurrection power. And if you do, I encourage you, if you, you haven't really been here or you zoned out one morning because you were thinking of your to-do list and you want to catch up on those, we do have a podcast. It's been recorded. The Back of House team have been fantastic in doing that. Can we just give it up for our, give a round of applause for our Back of House team. These guys... You know, Katie slides down in the desk, but Thomas and the team and others who really, from all things from visuals, photography, to just the things that happen that you don't notice. And in fact, that, no, that shows you how well they're doing their job because you don't notice it. So those guys, you know, serving the Lord isn't just about being at the front and um, there's plenty of opportunity to get involved. So if you are someone that is looking to, to maybe get involved in the likes of visuals or... Uh, Katie's just gone at this point. It's just way down in the... <laughs> um, the visuals or photography, or a few skills that are behind the scenes that you really want to utilize. I'd encourage you to come speak to Thomas or Sign, go speak to Clive. You know, there's many things, that ways you can get involved that I really encourage you. Or if you're someone and you're here and you're going, I don't know how to do those things. You know, God, our God is the God of the impossible. So you can learn the skill to do what you think is impossible. And that's how you grow. That's how you learn. And finding unique ways to serve the Lord because, you know, worship isn't just about what we do here through song, although that's a massive part of it. In fact, with our new building, we, we had a lot of timber arrived this past week just to build the stage. And it was a bit of a, the timing shifted. So I, they just showed up when I was about to leave. So I had to like Hannah conveniently was finishing work and we had to pull it all in. And Hannah said something that really stuck with me. She says, this is worship. I thought, yeah, you're right. This really is worship. <laughs> Channel left. But actually, that's everything we do is, is an act of worship unto the Lord. And that's really what this is about. That's not part of my message. I just like to throw in a few freebies, okay, um, to do that. I will say this as we, as we continue to wrap up our series. The type of narrative that you believe God is writing over your life will dictate the level of hunger and hope you have for his kingdom. See, the levels, the type of narrative, the type of genre you believe your life is in will dictate how much you pursue his kingdom. Many believers, they live their lives thinking that God is writing a horror story for their life instead of a hope-filled story. Anybody know any believers like that? Don't put your hand over that, G. 
But I believe that a, a lot of believers, they, they hear the story of Scripture. They hear the stories within Scripture. And they have a desire and they have a hunger in some ways to, to want God to do what God has done. But they don't have the faith today to believe that he will do that. And I believe it's because of this. I believe it's down to the fact that many believers don't believe God is writing a good story. They don't believe God is actually writing a good story. You see, the church is filled with storytellers. Do you know you're a storyteller? The church is filled with storytellers who don't believe God is writing a bigger, grand, good narrative. I'll put it like this. Inside the heart of every single person in this room, every single person in our community, whether they're in Christ or not, inside the hearts and minds of every person will be a storyline taking place, whether they realize it or not. Do you know that? Right in this moment, there is a storyline that as I speak, I interject into what you, in your conscious and your subconscious, throughout your day, throughout your week, there is a storyline that's been taking place throughout your heart and your mind. And what's really interesting is every single one of us have a different storyline. And as a way of illustration, I really want to look at four, what I believe are four different types of narratives that can be happening on the inside of a person. Usually there's a predominant one. Maybe if you're having a crazy day, all four happening at the same time. But these types of storylines, I believe, are taking place within our churches. The first one, okay, is... And I've just, you know, made a, made a few jokes out of them. The first one is a pair of twins. It's apocalyptic Annie and horror story Harry, okay? And this type of person, they believe that the doom and gloom life, that life is doom and gloom, that the world is getting worse and not better, that it's all going to pot, it's all going to hell, life's plagued by death and destruction and nuclear disaster, so we all better just batten down the hatches and wait for Jesus' return. Anybody know anybody like that, right? In fact, what I've discovered is this person has more faith in the media's portrayal of fear than in faith in God's portrayal of a good story. Okay? And then there's bad luck Larry, okay? Anybody know a bad luck Larry? Don't believe in bad luck just before you, you misquote me, right? But this type of person, they believe that life is marked by a series of bad events. What's that show with Jim Carrey? Was it the Lemony Snicket's Unfortunate Events? Whatever, whatever that was, there's a TV series. And they, they live life believing that everyone's out to get them or life is against them. They live in such a well of self-pity that they believe they're the victim of the story. Anybody know anybody like that? In fact, they believe they've been cheated out of their lot in life. So that when Jesus returns, it's then they'll get the reward. In fact, they play the blame game to its finest. And see, this type of person, they struggle with loss, but equally they struggle with taking personal responsibility for their own lives. That's blame game Larry, or bad luck Larry, right? And then there's my old friend, Midwest Meg from Ruralville. All right? Anybody know a Midwest Meg? <coughs> See, this person, this type of person, they've settled for the easy life. All right? 
They've resigned themselves to the mundane, repetitive, Monday to Sunday, nothing changes. In fact, they fear change and no longer believe that life can be adventurous. Anybody know a person like that? See, life has been, is boring and has always just seemed to be boring. In fact, they usually speak at a monotone voice and in fact, you fall asleep halfway through the sentence. If you don't know someone, that might be you. I'm joking, right? And so because life has been boring and always seems to be boring, there's no point trying to change it. And they believe that life will only truly begin when Jesus comes to take them home, all right? And what happens is, Midwest Meg, they become like a land that's become dry and hard and not good for a crop or a fruit to be produced. All right? And then, last but not least, there's another set of twins, either Hero Henry or Workaholic Wendy. Anybody know anybody like this? All right? Yeah. I'm not going to, we're not going to go into elaborating on it, all right? You see, this person's storyline consists of feeling a deep sense that their duty is to save everyone and fix everything. Anybody know somebody like that? All the spouses are going, (laughs) See, this person's like Batman, or Batwoman, okay? And they can't sleep until justice is served. They can't sleep until Gotham gets their vengeance, all right? And peace is only achievable or is only achieved when all the bad in the world is eradicated. In fact, their savior complex usually leads them to burnout and depression, okay? In fact, workaholic Wendy, or Justice James, I'll say, although I didn't want to use anybody's names here because I think I'm talking about them. This person never really gets any sleep because see, carrying a, ju- a grudge, it's a 24-7 job. And the common theme with each of these people is they believe the narrative that they find themselves in is the narrative that they'll always be resigned to. In fact, these types of people, they've become so insular in their focus that they've forgotten that they're part of a greater story. They've forgotten that their life is not to be insular and resigned to itself, but actually their purpose is found more in where they find themselves in this moment to actually what they've called to be and part of is a greater story, which is the kingdom. See, when a person, when you and I, when a believer, when a follower of Jesus, they enter the kingdom, their past, our past does not dictate our future. Do you know that what has been in your past will not dictate the direction of where you're going? In fact, what is going on around us is not an indicator of what lies ahead of us. Do you believe that for your life? And like I've said, the church can be filled with storytellers who have these narratives, maybe a predominant one at one time or all happening at once, depending on who you're with. And this narrative runs through our minds and our hearts without us knowing it or not. And we begin to believe one of them. If it's doom and gloom or workaholic or bad luck series of events. And what we do is we tell that story to others. Do you know your unconscious narrative is told to others? Not through maybe what you say, but how you live your life. And I want to put it like this. The church needs to realize we 
have an opportunity to realize that we are part of a greater story. Our purpose is not found in where we've come from or where we're at right now, but the author who is writing a greater story that he wants to beckon us all into. In fact, we're already in it, and he wants us to see it. Ephesians 1, 11 to 2, and the message says it really well. It says this. It says, in Christ, it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It is in Christ. Do you know it's in Christ that you can only find who you are? And it's only in Christ that you can find what you're living for. Not in your own narrative, in his. And long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, listen to this, he had his eye on us. Do you know a lot of believers believe, know that Jesus has their eye on them? But they believe he has a, his eye on them to catch them out. It's like he's like Santa Claus. You better be good. You better be nice. He's writing the list. He's checking it twice. You know, he's, he's looking out for when you're going to slip up. Jesus has his eye on us for a different reason. It says he has a designs on us for glorious living. Part of an overall purpose. He is working out everything in everything and everyone. So I'll read it all together. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of an overall purpose, his overall purpose, that he's working out in everyone and everything. The narrative that we're part of is for glorious living. The narrative of the church is for glory to glory. The narrative for the believer is that he has come to give you life and life it abundantly. Do you know the church, do you know believers, you're not called to live the life of survival, batting down the hatches. In fact, we're called for influence, but we're called to live a narrative that is one of joy, a one of peace, one of hope. You're looking at me as if to say, this is the first time I've heard this. Do you know, do you know you're called for a glorious living? Can you tell your face that? I'm joking. All right, now you're with me. You see, we're called to live a life knowing that we're shard and blessing. Knowing that we're shard with an author who's writing the story that not, it cannot be derailed. It cannot be stopped. If God is writing a storyline of glorious living, let me ask you, can anybody stop it? Because if you think he can, then he's not sovereign in your life. So therefore, if sovereign God is writing a storyline of glorious living, then that's one to get our hopes up in. Because what happens in the church, if you're like apocalyptic Annie, or I can't remember who the other person was, <laughs> you'll find that your end time narrative will be one of death and destruction. But can I tell you something? That's not the biblical narrative. And what happens is purpose comes. In fact, clarity comes to our, narrative, our internal narrative. In fact, I'll say it like this. Hope can only come into our introspective narrative when we understand that our story indwells God's greater story. Purpose can only come to the life you're living when you understand that actually it's a part of God's greater plan. The author of life is writing a greater story. And a bit like what scripture shows us, there's many wee subplots into God's, God's greater plot. And those subplots are subject to the greater author of life breaking in and doing something incredible and something transformative. I'll ask you this question. 
Is it possible for some Christians, for some believers, to find themselves living within God's redemptive story while believing they're actually living in a different one? Is it possible for us to be part of God's kingdom that is filled with blessing, that is filled with transformation, that is filled with provision, that is filled with restoration? Is it possible for us to live within that narrative but actually live our lives thinking we're in a different one? We find that many believers are doing that. Perception matters. Your perception of your narrative matters. If there's one thing that you can take as a seed this morning, what you, what you focus, what you, we behold, what we behold is what we become. What we focus on is where we get our faith from. I believe what we meditate on actually begins to build a narrative. You see, the genre of your story that you believe you're living in dictates how you experience the kingdom of God in your life. Do you know that? If you believe you're living in an apocalyptic genre, how you experience the kingdom of God is going to be very different. If you believe you're living in a bad luck Larry storyline or genre, how you experience the kingdom is going to be very different. Now the good thing is, God's kingdom is not subject to your genre. God's kingdom, in fact, can overpower that where our weakness has been where our lack of understanding, where our lack of wisdom has been, God, thankfully in his mercy and in his sovereignty, comes in and all of a sudden begins to whitewash your genre, moves it out of the way and begins to show you and renews your mind. And what happens is we have to get into a place as believers this morning and these coming weeks is we allow the Spirit of God, we allow the Holy Spirit to renew our thinking, to come and to renew our perception of what genre we believe we're living in. And we do not conform to the narrative of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our perception. That's what transformation looks like. That was good, I thought. That was good. (laughs) Because this is the thing. When we allow the Spirit of God to renew our perception of the narrative that he's writing, we'll have greater hope for the next chapter he's writing for our lives. There's some people who are afraid to turn the pages because they're like, oh no, it's going to be an apocalyptic. There's going to be bad news. Oh, worry and Wendy, all of a sudden things, worry and Wendy's a new one, yet all of that happens. And what happens is that when we allow, you will, you will know your mind is being renewed when you're not afraid to turn the pages of your life. In fact, you know your mind is renewed when you're like, <laughs> all right? Or if you're on the Kindle, it's like, oh, the screen's very wet now, you know? I'll say it like this. If there's an area of your life that is not filled with hope, it's under the influence of a lie. If there's an area, any area of your life, even the worst ones, that are not filled with a level of hope, it is under the influence of a lie. It's not under the possession of the lie because when you're a Christian, you're possessed by Jesus. Okay? Because lies distort our perception. But it's his truth that corrects it. It's his, his truth that restores our perception. It's why he said, my, my word, my truth will be a lamp to your feet. It's because when you begin to allow his truth to renew your mind, you see. You begin to see the narrative that you've been part on all along. 
the story that he's been writing in your life. And what happens is hope, it's released within us when we realize the author of life is writing a redemptive story for your life and not a horror one. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, if you looked at my week, if you looked at my life, you would, it would be a horror story. Oh no, right? If you looked at how my week went, in fact, if you just look at how my Wednesday went, you would go, I'm bad luck, Larry. Or if, where am I going? Or I'm Midwest Meg, or you know where I'm going. Yet if we can see and if we can hear the best that God intends to write for our lives, then we, okay, I'll put it like this. If we want to see and hear God's best for our lives, we have to give up control of the pen. You have to give up control of the pen. I don't care if you have a fancy fountain pen and you want to show it off or if you're an independent go-getter of life, I write great stories. Dot com. Because the moment, in fact, our sense of pride and our sense of control becomes an idol. And when we surrender our lives to the author of life and the author of our story, it's only then that we can begin to allow the hope narrative within us to begin to influence the hope narrative or give a hope narrative to the people around us. I'll say it like this. We've said it before. Those who are the most hope have the most influence in life, in this community. You want to have influence? Have more hope. Because an end time doom and gloom narrative, can I tell you, it ain't going to do much. In fact, fear is a terrible motivator to try and get people to heaven. Fresh revelation and encounter with heaven who is a person, that will change everything. There's been stories, I'll not get the likes of Jazz or other people, go, go chat, you can see where people who, who believe they live in hell have had encounters and it's doing something to their narrative. Because those who have the most hope in his redemptive story will be those who will lead more people to know the author. I'll say it again. Those who have the most hope in God's redemptive story over our lives and this, this earth are those who will lead more people to know and want to know the author. There is such a fear-based culture because fear sells. If you go onto your news, you will see there's more articles about what's bad than what's good. Why? Because good doesn't sell. Okay? And... Culture doesn't need, when I say culture, our communities, they don't need you to affirm the bad narrative they're in. They need an alternative. They need an alternative. You're not here to conform to the narrative. You're here to offer a better one. And what we have to do is we have to look at what narrative is within. And we can't do that when we're on our own. In fact, no matter if we're in our own family system, we can't, still can't do that. That's why Paul says, do not neglect meeting together. Because it's only when you do life with another person who's a different narrative than you, that can you see the narrative you're actually in and be challenged into a better narrative. It's why it's important more than ever that the church continues to meet together. I, we need more than ever. I know it's not my point, but 
And the reason it's important that we have a hope narrative and really why those who believe more in his redemptive story will lead more people to know the author is because of this. Inside every person, in here or outside of Christ, there is an inbuilt desire to know, like we said, who they are and what they're living for. But see, by byproduct, within them is inbuilt a desire to know the author of life. Within, I believe, you can come and try and convince me any other ways, but inside every single person, whether they are far from God in your opinion, there is a smidge, a smidge, a smidge, a smidge of a small it is, there's an inbuilt desire because it was given by God to know the author of life. How do we know this? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God put, he placed eternity into the hearts of people. He placed eternity. But listen, eternity isn't just a place you go to. It's a position you come into. It's a position in relation to someone. Eternity is not a place that you go to when you die. Not just a place. But it was about a position you come into, and that's relationship to Jesus. When God placed eternity in the hearts of people, he placed within them a desire to come close to him. A desire to have a narrative that is of hope, of, of joy, of peace, of him. And he, see, eternity, heaven... It's about proximity to him. Hell is about distance. And therefore, the narrative that God was always writing was about proximity and coming close into his presence, into his nearness. And what happens is that when we take our focus, when we have our focus on our own internal narrative and we take our focus off his kingdom narrative, we lose sight of the position that he set aside for us. So when you focus in on your own narrative, this is all my week's been, and you forget about the grander narrative that he is writing, you lose sight of the position that was set aside. You lose sight of the position that Jesus died for. And the good thing is, no matter how much you think you try to mess up your story, no matter how much you try to hold that pen and make a few squiggles here, there, and everywhere, When you position yourself on God, when you keep your, your whole mind, your will, your emotions, your, your, your life, as much within your ability you can, with all your will and all your might, when you keep yourself in the position of God, he can rewrite in, back in anything you thought was dead. Anybody ever had those TV shows where they rewrite the main character and because they killed them off and they thought, oh, that went the pattern of yours went down? It's not like that. God doesn't rewrite things in just to keep you happy. But what it's saying is that fear of you messing things up can't exist in your narrative, your story. Why? Because God, the author of life, no matter how many plot twists and turns come, God is so good that he can use all things for his good. 2 Samuel 22, again in the message, says this, and there is context, but... It says, as God rewrote, listen to that, he rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. God rewrote your story when you opened the book of your heart and he read your pages. Now, we think that's just a one-time thing. That was the moment that we gave our life to Jesus and all of a sudden my destiny changed, which is very true. But I really believe this is an ongoing principle. 
It's ongoing, not a one time, but ongoing. Listen, God rewrote the text of my life when? When I continually open the book of my heart and let him look in and let him read my life. Things change. In other words, then when we let God look and when we let God read our lives, we can hear it from his perspective. When we listen to what God says about our situation and our circumstances, it doesn't matter what anybody else says how your story should go. It doesn't matter what anybody, the the so-called try to be authors of your life, it doesn't matter what they say. Because the voice of God brings revelation. I'll put it like this. Reading a story by yourself gives you knowledge. Okay? But hearing God read the same story brings you revelation. Why? Because it's the person reading the story. Now, walking in God's revelation, that isn't about always knowing the next chapters of your life, okay? It's not how the revelation of God works. But revelation is knowing that the author of the next chapter will work everything out. Eric Johnson said it like this once before. Knowledge is like watching a boxing match on TV and knowing that the punches hurt. Revelation is being in that boxing ring and feeling the punches. There is a difference between knowing and revelation. You see, revelation is that when life knocks you down, you know that Jesus is in the ring with you. When life knocks you down, faith built on revelation is knowing that Jesus is in your corner fighting for you. In fact, when your face flat on the canvas, feeling like you're done, feeling like you're out, Jesus doesn't need to say, I'm ready for another round because he's already won the fight. And what he does is revelation knows that when you're down, facing the canvas, and you feel like thrown in the towel, Jesus says, this isn't the end of the story. This isn't where you're destined. This is where you're at. We're not negating where you're at, but this is not where your story ends. When we begin to get a revelation, and it's important that we do, and it's only the Spirit of God can bring revelation, that he does something in your heart and in your mind where you go, it's like this. If you're here and you're a believer, and, I, and you have revelation and you have knowledge, and you, not even knowledge, you have revelation and a deep knowing that Jesus is your Lord He is the saviour of your life. He is the one that has freed you, taken all punishment, all payment for you. If I come along and I try to talk you out of that, I say, hey, Chris, forget, unbelieve that. You're like, I can't. You can't talk somebody out of their revelation. Why? Because there's something happens in the conscious mind. In fact, it happens in your your brain too. It becomes a pseudo-core moment where it's like it's branded on the brain of your mind. And what happens is that revelation becomes a reference point. Revelation becomes reference point so that when you look ahead in the unknown chapters of your life, you know he was there in the previous. We recall revelation so we have faith for the next chapters. And when we understand that our narrative, our story is part of God's kingdom narrative, anxiety and depression are not your end. Your poverty, your debt that you might find yourself in this week is not your inheritance. In fact, the cycles of addiction that you may find yourself in 
They're not your pathway. That when God's story becomes your story, that's not what's destined ahead of you. The doom and gloom lifestyle, that's not your outlook. The mediocre, mundane Midwest Meg, that's not what he's called you to live. The bad luck, Larry, nothing can rob you of his blessings. No bad luck can rob his blessings from you. And in fact, you don't have to be everybody's hero and you certainly don't have to be anybody's savior because there's only one. Because when God's story becomes our story, we know all things work out for good. Now, good is interpretive because can I tell you something? Your definition of good is worse than God's definition of good. Okay? So don't limit your story to your definition of good. In fact, renew your, get your mind renewed so that you can see what the goodness of God is like. Because usually our good is on the basis of pain and pleasure. We want that which doesn't pain us. But if anybody's here, in fact, I was talking to someone this morning who, who waits, does weightlifting and so on. Going to the gym would not be good in my definition because of the pain in which it causes me. <laughs> but actually, that's how growth happens. But anyways, that's a conversation. I'll say it like this, just as we're about to, about to come to an end. Having gone through betrayal of his brothers, having been sold into slavery, been falsely accused, been imprisoned, Joseph went from being bewildered at what on earth the author of life was doing to all of a sudden having a revelation of what he was doing all along. Genesis 50, 20 puts it like this. Joseph speaks to his brother, says, As for you, what you meant for evil against me, God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to keep many people alive. There comes a time, there comes times, I'll put it like that, there comes times within our story when God breaks in, when kingdom, the kingdom of heaven breaks in. The kingdom of heaven is God's story invading our story. So when Jesus tells us, pray, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he's saying, pray my story to come and invade your story because you need the hope of my story within the dishope of your story. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own view and your own authorship. He's saying, pray that my narrative would invade and transform your narrative. There comes times in our lives that what we've gone through, all that we've gone through, and we've gone all that we've endured, we begin to see, ah, that's what the author of life was doing. When we say hindsight is a beautiful thing. But what we thought in our lives was supposed to derail us was what Jesus was using as our destiny all along. The times in your life when you thought your story was going off track, God was saying, watch what I can write. When other people tried to author your destiny, he's saying, watch what I can use. See that critic that led you to hear? Watch what I can use and redeem all things. You see, there is a vindication of God that comes in our lives that when people try to seek after, steal, kill, and destroy what he promised us, God, because God used Joseph, at a young age, was promised by God, destined by God to be in incredible levels of leadership, even over his family. But God used Joseph's slavery story to bring about where he managed and led a food system that people all across the world came to and helped combat a famine. If Chris and, and Barry want to come back up,
constant here, is it? Faith, I'll put it like this as we close. Faith trusts the author of life knowing that a bad day doesn't mean a bad life. Faith trusts in the middle of our situation and our circumstances that a bad day doesn't mean a bad destiny. That the gift of when someone gives us the lovely gift of betrayal doesn't mean that we are not destined for a life of blessing. If someone criticizes you and it stops you from moving forward, it does not negate the calling that God has placed on your life. Life and death are at the power of the tongue. When we let the author of life read the story to us, we listen to the words of life instead of the words of critics. And it's through that that we get the ability to then move forward. Which author are you listening to in your life? You see, when the story doesn't go according to our plan, we have to embrace a level of mystery. I'm not saying you're in a murder mystery novel at that point. You may feel like it. But like I says, when we're in levels of mystery, unknown what the next chapters are, we have to, within a mature believer recalls the revelation on the previous pages. An immature believer chucks the baby out with the bathwater, becomes bad luck Larry, apathetic Midwest, apocalyptic, um, run out of names and remembrance. But what happens is there is a maturation process for you and I that we go, do you know what? I don't know what's ahead of me, but I remember what, what was. The revelation that he moved up, it's like the altars in the wilderness they become stories of his, test, of his faithfulness. I'll say that again. The altars in the wilderness, we look back and we go, they are the testimonies. They are the testimonies of God's faithfulness time and time again. You may find yourself in a wilderness season. I can tell you right now. He was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. I'm speaking to those of us in the room, the those of us, when we resonate with the horror story Harry, the bad luck Larry, Midwest Megan, workaholic Wendy. If, why don't you stand? I'm speaking to all of us who resonate and say this morning is a good morning. With 10 more minutes before the, the kids descend. And I want you to get into a place. This morning is a good morning to let God read your life. The problem is we don't let God read our life because we know he's going to bring about change. But can I tell you if you want to see better pages of your story that are destined ahead of you, I encourage you, let God, let the Spirit of God, I'm not talking about your own mind right now and what you think God would say, but there is a, a, a real supernatural thing which uh, secular culture will, dis will, will disengage. There's a Spirit right now who wants to come and read your life and begin to speak to you by His Word so that you can hear what He's saying, so that you can get fresh revelation of what He's doing. A word, hearing Thomas Aquinas, there's a quote, I can't remember, I'll butcher it. The man who set up a lot of the, the platforms and structures of a doctrine of the church today. He says, when it came to knowing and hearing the voice of God, 
that's what changes everything. We have to hear the voice of God for the here and for the now. Religion won't give you that. But a God who wants, like we sing that Jesus says, that his kingdom, his story, his voice will come into your story right now and speak into it, speak life, speak healing where people have chucked you under the bus. And I believe being under that bus is not your destiny. There is nothing that can keep you there this morning. You let that bus pass. God says, vengeance is mine. I will pay back, not your job. If you're here and you need hope where you've had a mundane, lackluster life, going to the pleasures of this world will not bring the adventure that God has set aside for you. Let God read your life so that he can redirect and rewrite the pages of your story. So Father, this morning, we thank you that you're kind. God, I thank you that your kindness that leads us back into the right direction of you. You're writing the story that whatever the years that the locust stole, whatever people tried to steal, whatever happened, God, that we feel there was years lost. God, we see it as part of the destiny that you've, you've taken all things and turned it for good. Father, this morning, we lift our eyes off of our own story. We place it under you and you, we say you are the God who can use broken things to bring about blessings. You are the God who can bring derailment, use derail seasons of our lives and actually use it for our destiny. That nothing can ever get in the way of your authorship of our life. So Father, this morning we come in hope. Let hope come. We come in faith. Let faith arise. That faith and hope are the things of things un- hope for and the things of unseen. So Father, I pray this morning would your spirit fall in this place. Fall on your people. And let your story become their story in a fresh way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.